Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church. And we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support. We need your prayers and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. Turn with me now in your listening sheet to 1 Kings 18, 36 through 39, and we're going to read this aloud together. This then is the text for today. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Today, let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. May God bless the reading of his word. It's like most everything in life. If you have it, you don't appreciate it. When you're holding it, you don't miss it. So that then, when it's taken away from you, you pine for it like a puppy below the dinner table. You know, when you have something, our, our typical fleshly response then is to take it for granted. And I'm not even sure you, it has to be enough. It's just if you have possession of it, your heart begins to turn. Eventually, you don't want it anymore. The other day, earlier this week, I was walking out of the gym. There were, there were two people in front of me. And as we were walking out, it was starting to sprinkle. And one of the men in front of me said, I sure am getting tired of this rain. He must not be from around here. <laughs> because if you are from around here, you never complain about the rain. It won't be long before you're crying out to God for one drop of heaven to fall to this earth to lessen the fiery heat of summer. The rain since time began, brings doxology and new shades of green, just as the Spirit of God brings spring into our souls. Now, as we come to the text for this week, we've been in 1 Kings chapter 18. We need to go back a little bit. In 1 Kings chapter 17, Israel is facing the cracked ground of summer. During the reign of Ahab, 
somewhere around 870s B.C. or so, Israel, as a nation, had gone away from God. They had forgotten everything that God had done for them. They were taking for granted the things that God had done for them in their past. They turned the story on its head. Them being brought into the promised land became something of their own will instead of the will of God. They were no longer telling the stories of deliverance, stories of the Exodus like they once told them. They were starting to, to believe that it was in their own strength and in their own way and in the power of their effort that they had made their way to the promised land instead of that of the way of God. The, the nation of Israel then started to, to lean in on the opinions of the people around them rather than the Word of God. And when you lean on the opinions of the people around you instead of the Word of God, disaster will come. It may not come immediately, but it will come quickly. And so the people of Israel began to trust the people that surrounded them instead of the Word of God. They started listening to their neighbors on how this life was supposed to go. In fact, the, the leaders, even the leaders of Israel, began to worship other gods. Not just random gods, but the gods of their neighbors, of the stories that they had heard. Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and earth, was passé. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was left to history out of fashion for them because there were other shiny ob objects and idols for them to worship. Turn back with me to chapter 16. So 1 Kings 16, and let's, let's read verse 30 together. Look, 1, uh, 1 Kings 16.30. Ahab was the son of Omri. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. And listen to this. He wasn't just an evil leader. He did more evil than all those who were before him. Go down to verse 32 and 33. Ahab erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made the Asherah. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. As they listened to the opinions of the people around them instead of the word of God, it led them down disastrous roads. Sin was building up. Sin was building up in the people. Sin was building up in the leadership and God punished them. If you look with me now at 17.1, now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. What God did, because they stopped worshiping God and started worshiping other things and other gods, God turned off the rain. And when God turned off the rain for year one, the ground started to crack. And it kept going into year two. Crops were failing. 
And as it kept going into year three, it was disaster. There's nothing left for them. And this is where chapter 18 begins. So this week in our reverse text, we be, we're in 1 Kings chapter 18, and this is where it begins. The people of Israel are caught in a drought. And what's incredible about them is as this situation gets increasingly dire, they have a decision to make. When life falls apart, to whom do you turn? Israel and her leaders decided they would listen to their neighbors. And their neighbors in particular, they had a, a special ceremony, a special kind of idol worship they would do to call down the rain in seasons of drought. It's a God named Baal. And they called him the God of the thunderstorm. And he was the one you would talk to when you needed a thunderstorm when you needed the rain to come back again. Offer a sacrifice, do a dance, sing. Baal would answer your call. So Israel, in three years of drought, said, why don't we listen to our neighbors sing and dance around Baal? When life becomes increasingly difficult, to whom do you turn? When, when your soul is parched and your heart begins to crack, where do you turn? Who do you run to? We know, and Scripture teaches this, that on this side of eternity, there is always going to be drought and war, poverty and death, tears, pain, depths of despair that we would have rather left undisturbed. When you reach those moments, the draining terrors of life, to whom do you turn? Israel makes a decision here in 1 Kings to turn away from God and chase after the idols of their neighbors. He made the decision that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was to be left behind. Now, typically, our model in American churches isn't to chase after foreign deities, but we do have our idols. One of the ways that we try to fix these problems on our own, and there's two in particular that we like. One of them is just to throw money at the problem. That if there's an issue, let's see how much money we can throw at it, and that will fix the problem. Think of things like cloud seeding. Or there's another thing we do, too, when we we're faced with difficulty in this life. We go and we grab a shovel, and we do everything that we can to just dig ourselves out, that we're going we're to get out no matter what. These humanistic efforts are just as futile. They're just as futile as crying out to Baal. 
And in fact, we receive the same message that Israel did. Look down with me at chapter 18, verse 21. So Elijah came near to all the people and he said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? Some of our translations may use the word limp there. How long are you going to limp back and forth between two gods? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Israel, make your decision. God still speaks in this same way. Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to turn to when life gets difficult? That sets the stage for this grand spiritual battle that's about to happen in 1 Kings 18. Now, we studied a couple of weeks ago in David and Goliath where it looked like it was one-on-one. David versus Goliath, but we know it was two-on-one. It wasn't David alone. It was the God of the armies of Israel, and all of his heavenly hosts were with David and behind David going forward. Today, it, it looks different. Today, there's many more on the other side. In fact, Scripture sets it up. It says there's 450 prophets of Baal, 450 there, and it looks like it's 450 against one, that it's Elijah against 450 people, and under any normal human circumstance, 450 humans are stronger than one, but not today. Now, all of that was the preparation of the nation for this moment that's about to happen. But there's another kind of preparation that's happening in these verses, and and it's Elijah's preparation of the site on Mount Carmel. There's going to be this place of God's revelation that happens in front of them, and Elijah comes in to prepare the site. Chapter 18, you see it in 30 and 31. It says, Elijah comes in and repairs the altar. There was an altar there in disrepair. It's like the spiritual state of their nation. And it says, Elijah comes in and starts to gather 12 stones and sets them in order as an altar unto the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, there's an intentional work here. The 12 stones represent the 12 tribes of Israel. That this moment and this altar was the continuation of their story. Or or rather, this was the continued work of the Lord our God. That that this story and this moment in time had its, its origins in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that that God is is the God of their history, and that no matter how far we run away from God, or no matter how many times we replace God with something else, this is God's story that He has written into history. And they were to remember, just as, as Elijah is setting up these 12 stones, it was a moment of remembrance for them of how God had acted on their behalf, how God had been graceful to the nation of Israel, 
how God had from the beginning of time worked this story out in the history of his people and he had shown them affection and grace all the way through. Only Israel had forgotten. And for every stone that he placed, all 12 of them, for Israel to remember. To remind us of the affection of God that he's shown for us. Told the story of Genesis and Exodus. Those stones told the story of Joshua and Judges. Those stones told the story of First Kings. They, they were telling the story of the coming Messiah in the person of Jesus Christ. It was written out there in stone for them. This is God's story, and we are God's people. And if that wasn't powerful enough, if it wasn't powerful enough for them to remember well the story of their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers, of, of how their families had been fed in the wilderness, if it wasn't enough for them to hear the stories of how their families conquered Jericho by the sound of a trumpet, you see, if those aren't enough, God was once again about to prove Himself and His sovereignty on Mount Carmel so that the people of God would come back. So Israel, um, Elijah prepared the stones. And after he had prepared the stones, he came and prepared the water. It says there as he sets up the altar and digs a trench, he pours over it an absurd amount of water. Water that wouldn't be allowed under normal restrictions of a drought. But he pours it over the altar, has it poured, not once, not, not twice, but three different times has water poured over the altar and into the trenches. It looks like Elijah is wasting water here but he's telling a story. See, as he pours that over, it's setting the stage for the glory of God, that it is God who is over all, over the chaos of the waters. It is the God who provides the water. It, it, the same God is, is the God of the thunderstorms and the thunder and the lightning and the rain that comes down from heaven. There is one God, one God that we know in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is one. And, and the water doesn't make any sense because the, in this moment of sacrifice, it was to be a fire. And, and fire is consumed in the water. Why would Elijah do such a thing? In this way, he's going to reveal the power of God, that our God is, is the God over all creation so that even fire burns in the waters, that our God can do that, that even if this altar was built at the depths of the sea, that the fire of God could penetrate down through the ocean and onto the sacrifice and burn it up even underneath the waters. He's the creator of the heavens and earth, of all that is. 
God's glory was about to be on display for all Israel. They were to know this was a work of God, not of Elijah. So everything is set then. The altar, the wood, the offering, and Elijah begins to pray. And I want you to listen to how Elijah prays in chapter 18, verse 37. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. So that, and, and listen here to the, the so that. The so that is important. There's something you may want to underline here. Answer me, Lord, so that this people may know you, O Lord God, and know that you are God and that it is you who have turned their heart back again. As Elijah prays here in verse 37, there is a distinct purpose in these actions. And the purpose here is not for the spectacle of pyrotechnics, because that's what our flesh would want. We, we see this even in the, the miracles of Jesus. Our flesh longs to see these kinds of miracles. Wouldn't it be cool to see pyrotechnics in the clouds that fall down to the earth, even to the depths of the sea? Wouldn't that be remarkable? But as Elijah prays here, this altar and the fire that is coming is, is not for us to gawk at the pyrotechnics, but, it, but it's for something else. This, this is for the spiritual transformation of God's people. This is a work of God to reveal Himself so that His people will come running back to Him. His people that have gone astray, His people that have forgotten Him, His people that are lost, this is a beacon in the night for them to come running back to Him as quickly as possible. Oh, Lord God, bring your people back and turn their hearts. This is a word of repentance. Would you turn them around out of their selfish ways, out of the worldly opinions, and bring them back to your kingdom? Elijah is praying here not just for fire, but he's praying for the transformative work of God to burn in their hearts. It's as if their hearts have become frayed and loose. And he's saying, singe those hearts, close off that frayedness in their heart so that they can be healed. They'll return from chasing after their idols. See, Elijah's heart and prayer is God's heart here to care deeply about the people of God, that they will be revived, that they'll be renewed and reminded of the rich spiritual history that God has written for them. This is, this is our prayer as a church, that one, God would reveal our idols. Two, that God would show them as impotent as they are. And in that way, cause us to turn back to Him that may God prove himself sovereign and that our shoddy attempts at fixing things will fail. For every one of those times that we've run to somebody else or we've run to something else in a day of trouble, 
May God pour down fire from heaven to draw us back, licking up every molecule of our effort like it's water sitting on Mount Carmel. You see, the biblical model for us then is that when life gets too complicated or when life gets otherworldly painful, we return to our God. We don't go to the right, we don't go to the left, but we sprint home in repentance so that worship might happen. You know, it's pretty remarkable. We, we see it here, verse 38 and 39. Fire falls from heaven down onto the soaked altar. And it says their hearts returned and they begin to worship. Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God, repeated twice. And when the people of God return, the rain came back. The prairie is filled with flowers and the fruit of the promised land. And God's people are restored. So then our question this morning is when your soul is parched, when it's cracked, whom do you turn to? Because one of the things that we know is that Christ has been setting up an altar for you. Christ in his work has prepared a table. Elisha went and got the stones and the water to remind Israel who God is. Jesus went and got the bread in the cup so that he might be remembered among his followers. See, Jesus has written a story for you. Our flesh likes to fight back against it. But in many ways, every day, the Spirit of God reminds us of that work of Christ and what he has in store for you. Now, we, like Israel, we tend to forget our history. We tend to forget these stories of grace and the sovereignty of God. We, we tend to forget the power of the cross. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew these stories of, of Israel needing constant reminding of what God did for them, how God created them, how, how God led them into the promised land, how, how God delivered them time and time again. Jesus knew that you would need a constant reminder too, a constant reminder that you have been redeemed, that there was a creator of the heavens and the earth who saw fit that you would be. There was a, a creator of the heavens and the earth who, who knew that sin would take deep root in your life and be destructive unto death. 
and that he was going to have to be provide a deliverer for you. His son, the Christ. And at the cross, where Jesus is lifted up, we see the pivotal moment of human history. That we are forgiven. And guilt is washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Of this moment, Jesus says the most important moment in human history, and it's what you need to remember. And so he gathered the bread, and he gathered the cup. He said, remember me. Deacons, if you would, begin to prepare the elements. <laughs>